0: We'll hear argument first this morning in Case 07582, Federal Communications Commission versus Fox Television Stations. Uh, Mr. Garr, Solicitor General Garr.
1: Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. This case involves a challenge to the efforts of the Federal Communications Commission to carry out its statutory mandate under 18 U.S.C. 1464 and more even-handedly address indecent material that is broadcast directly into the home during the time of day when children are likely to be in the viewing audience. After reconsidering its policy in this area, the Commission determined that an enforcement action may be appropriate in the case of indecent language that is isolated as well as repeated. Because the Commission provided a reasoned explanation for that change in course, the Court of Appeals erred in invalidating its action under the Administrative Procedures Act.
2: Did it, did it reconsider its policy uh, in the first order i would have, I would have gathered that it that it had, but its second order said basically we 've never had a policy that a uh, uh, single use of these expletives is is okay I think which it, is it are they are, are they changing their policy or not?
1: they did change their policy, Justice, Clea, and the commission directly acknowledged that in paragraph twelve of the Golden Globe Awards order, which is not reprinted in the petition appendix. In that paragraph, the Commission said we now depart from cases holding that isolated or fleeting use of the F-word was not indecent. But I think l- that
2: the latest order, the one, the one that's up here, uh, says that uh, all of the statements to that effect in the past were simply staff statements and that the Commission had never held to that effect before.
1: Well, the Court of Appeals recognized, and we think correctly so, that the Commission did change its position on that. The Commission had never brought an enforcement action against a broadcaster for the isolated use of an expletive. And the Commission made clear in the orders that issued this case, beginning with the Golden Globe Awards Order and the particular uh, omnibus and remand orders before this Court, that it was ta- taking a change in regulatory course in determining that it was appropriate to bring an enforcement action where there was an isolated incidence of an expletive if the context suggested that it would be indecent in that situation. Well,
3: is the agency's position that its policy has
1: changed or that it has not changed? That it's has changed, Justice Kennedy. And the Court of Appeals recognizes that at pages 20A to 21A of the decision. And we think this Court has
3: recognized. Well, the Court recognized, that recognized what it seems to me, the FCC, and this is what Justice Scalia's questions go in part to, it's in the remand order at first it said its policy hadn't changed.
1: Well, I I think there were some statements, uh, we would acknowledge that, in different places. But if you go to the heart of where the FCC grappled with this, paragraph, paragraph 12 of the Golden Globes Award Order, it specifically disavowed its prior decisions in which it had said that isolated expletives would not warrant an enforcement action under 1464, and it specifically said we are departing from our policy. I mean, after all, it didn't impose — But I think it it
2: rewrote that in its last order, and I think it even explained away the, the Golden Globe statement. By saying it was not as categorical as it might appear,
1: I I think if you look at maybe pages eighty-two to eighty-three of the petition appendix here, where we discuss that as well, I think it it made clear with respect to the indecency finding uh, involving the two thousand and three Billboard Music Awards and the two thousand and two Billboard Music Awards that implying its contextual analysis in the past, it had focused on whether or not uh, expletives were repeated or dwelled upon. In this case. The Commission determined that it was not going to be guided exclusively by that consideration and that it was going to take into account all contextual factors, including the explicit and graphic nature of the language used.
0: Do you, do you think in terms of our legal review it makes a difference whether it's a change or whether it's a continuation of a prior policy? I,
1: Certainly, I would be defending it if, if the Court thought that it wasn't a change, and it would, be, it would have been inappropriate for the Second Circuit to have invalidated that as arbitrary and capricious. We have — we think it was a change, the, the language that the Commission used indicated that it was departing from its prior understanding and we're here defending either way we're here defending its I guess my question
0: is do you think a different legal standard applies when an agency changes a prior position as opposed to articulating its position for the first time
1: well this court has said that it's desirable for agencies to reconsider and to change
4: its policy from time to time Wasn't it but the when commission, the commission asked the second circuit said, we've changed our policy. We want you to remand the case to the Commission so that the Commission can explain what its new policy I mean, isn't that how this whole thing arose? The case was in the Second Circuit and the Commission said it wanted to have an opportunity to explain its position more fully.
1: It is, and it did, and the remand order reprinted in the Petition Appendix. Mr. Chief Justice, I think either way, the ultimate standard is arbitrary and capriciousness. Now, the respondents have focused on whether or not we have complied with the criteria that the Court has looked to in determining whether or not a change in agency position is arbitrary and capricious. And we think that there are three factors here uh, that must lead to the conclusion that it was not arbitrary and capricious. One, we think that the Commission did directly acknowledge its change in position, Two, the Commission provided a concrete explanation for that change. And three, that explanation is at a minimum plausible and consistent with the Commission's statutory mandate. This Court has never invalidated a change in agency position where those three factors have been present. And if you look at the three uh, principal justifications that the agency used in explaining its change in position, I think it's, it's absolutely clear that this was at a minimum a rational policy choice. Uh, that the agency was committed was, was permitted to take under the Administrative Procedures Act.
4: One of the problems is that, it, seeing it in operation, there seems to be uh, no rhyme or reason for some of the decisions that the commission has made. I mean, the saving private Ryan case filled, filled with expletives, Davis, and yet the film about jazz history. The words were considered um, a violation of the Commission's policy, so that there seems to be um, very little rhyme or reason to when the Commission says that one of these words is okay and when it says it isn't.
1: Well, we, we do think, of course, that there is rhyme or reasons to its determination. First, let me say that much of the vagueness Um, type of arguments that the respondents are making similar to your question could be made equally with respect to the Commission's policy, with respect to repeated utterances as well as isolated utterances. If you take the Saving Private Ryan and the Blues documentary example, those were repeated utterances cases. We're here because they challenged the Commission's change in policy to go from repeated utterances to consider enforcement actions in the case of isolated expletives, where they met its contextual analysis and where it was explicit, graphic, shocking, or pandering in the context. Now, I think certainly there are going to be situations, and this Court has indicated that the vagueness inquiry doesn't turn about coming up with hypotheticals at at the outer margins of a standard. I think in the Pacifica case … Our reading of the Court's decision is similar to the D.C. Circuit's reading of that decision in the Action for Children's Television case, that implicit in the Court's decision in Pacifica was that it had rejected a vagueness challenge to the Commission's definition of indecency, which is the same definition that the Commission is applying today.
0: I suppose the most difficult case for you is the early news case, where you have a fleeting uh, uh, expletive, unlike — saving private ryan and the others i mean how do you distinguish the early news case from the ones before us
1: the the commission has determined that news programming programming would be treated differently with greater restraint because of the different values present in that situation so the same
0: uh, if you had a news report uh, about the nicole uh, ritchie and the share exhibits they they could use the actual language uh, even though they can't during the the Award shows?
3: Yes.
1: Similarly, if there were a news report about the argument uh, today in this court and there were reports about the actual language used, that's right. The Commission has exercised restraint in that area, recognizing that there are different values at stake than in the in the utterance of indecent language during a prime-time broadcast where there are a substantial number of children in the viewing audience. The, the broadcast in this case, up to 24 28% of the viewing audience comprised children under the age of 18. This language uh, was conceitedly gratuitous in the context in which it was used. In the Nicole Ritchie example in 2003, there was an element of pandering because part of the dialogue consisted of Paris Hilton saying, watch your language before Nicole Ritchie launched into dropping the S word and the F word in uh, a and, and, and context that was, the FCC reasonably determined was shocking and gratuitous and explicit and graphic. And therefore, in the context in which it was presented, indecent under the agency's longstanding definition are there, of
4: indecency. The, only those two words in the FCC's new policy, or the, are there other words on the list?
1: Well, certainly. The FCC's action in this case focuses on the use of the F word and the S word. And I think everyone acknowledges that a word like the F word is one of the most graphic, explicit, and vulgar words in the English language for sexual activity. And I think that even the networks here concede that it was, its use was gratuitous and, and inappropriate here. And the networks Isn't it themselves.
3: True? Isn't it true that that's a word that often is used with, with no reference whatsoever to the, to the sexual connotation?
1: It, can be, it certainly can be used um, in a non-literal way. It can use in, be used in a metaphorical way, as Cher used it here to say uh, F them to uh, her critics. Um, the, can, but, but the non-literal literal distinction is not unique to the isolated expletives versus repeated expletives. Uh, you think expletives. it's
3: equally subject to, equally subject to being treated as indecent within the meaning of the statute, regardless of which meaning was actually apparent to everybody who listened to it?
1: I wouldn't say equally, Justice Stevens, but what we would say is it can qualify as indecent under the the Commission's uh, definition, because even the non-literal use of a word like the F word, uh, because of the core meaning of that word, is one of the most vulgar, vulgar, graphic, and explicit words for sexual activity in the English language. It inevitably uh, conjures up a core sexual image. Which is
2: indeed why it's used
1: which is indeed why it's used as an intensifier or as an insult, and it's why the networks themselves, and this is reprinted, I believe, at 86 of the Petition append- Appendix, have a 24-hour rule that the F word generally should not be used on TV.
0: That, even that's entirely voluntary? I mean, the, the Commission would have no objection if the F word were used on a regular basis after 10 o'clock?
1: Outside of the safe harbor, under this Court's decision, the, the, the Commission recognizes that networks can use indecent language. Although they don't, I gather. Although they don't. Their policies are not to use indecent language. Because they find language. it
2: offensive, I gather.
1: Because I think they recognize that it contravenes community standards for appropriateness in the broadcast medium. And th- those policies are, are reprinted at, at pages 86A to 88A of the
4: petition. How are, how are the contemporary community standards determined in this context? Does the… FCC survey any particular audience to find out what their standards are?
1: Well, first of all, the community standards are community standards for the broadcast medium. And this is set out a little bit at page 33 of the Joint Appendix, uh, footnote 13. Second of all, they look to uh, community standards for the average listener. And third of all, the the Commission applies its uh, collective experience here, looking to statements from lawmakers, from courts, from broadcasters, from public interest groups, and from citizens to determine what is consistent with community standards. And certainly where you — I suppose the broadcaster's own voluntary determination
0: not to use that that language 24 24 hours is a reflection of what they think about community standards.
1: Absolutely. I think it's an irrefutable irrefutable, uh, reflection of what they think the appropriate community standards are. Are you talking about community standards for broadcasting? Community standards for broadcasting, that's right. Uh, and in that respect, this case is much different than the Reno case, for example, where one of the criticisms this Court had was uncertainty about what community standards would apply. Another difference is, is that here you have the Commission, an expert agency, making these, determining, uh, making these determinations, drawing in part on the policies and practices of the regulated industry itself. For example, the self-imposed rule not to use the F word at particular times of day. And, of course, you have the fact that broadcast. Television has always been subject to a lesser standard of first amendment scrutiny
0: now is that still I gather that 's an issue with the constitutional questions. Does that still have the same force today when broadcast uh, medium is only one of several that are uh, that are available? In other words, it seems to me that the commission might not be accomplishing terribly much if it regulates a particular medium when all sorts of other me- uh, media uh, are available that don 't have uh, the, the commission 's oversight
1: we think it is, and we think it 's reflected in the court 's cases now, l- and let me explain why, but let me first say that obviously we think that this court does not need to and should not delve into the constitutional issues uh, in resolving the case before today. The only issue that we presented and the only issue decided below is whether or not the commission has provided a reasoned explanation of the administrative procedures act can I, can I it,
5: go ahead are you finished
1: well, it, If I I can answer the question as to the force of the Court's precedence, this Court has repeatedly affirmed in cases like Sable, in cases like Reno, and in cases like Turner and Denver area that broadcasting is subject to a different and lesser First Amendment standard. The Commission in this case looked to the considerations that underlie that um, jurisprudential doctrine and concluded that they were still um, opposite. And that's at pages 108 to 110 of Petition Appendix. Most Americans still get their information and entertainment from broadcast TV. Most children, broadcast TV is extremely accessible to children because all they have to do is turn it on and then you have the network shows that they can have access to. And broadcast television is still um, broadcast in a way that invades the home, the place, the one place where people typically don't expect to have uninvited yes, offenses. Yes, wasn't
3: the rationale for the lesser standard largely the scarcity of the frequencies?
1: I, I think that was a rationale in Red, Red Lion. This Court in Pacifica didn't rely on that rationale in but discussing. it rely on Red Lion. Well, I, I, as we read the decision, Justice Stevens and I understand it's you wrote the plurality decision there but as we read decision the court did not rest so much on the scarcity rationale but yet on the unique pervasiveness of, of broadcasting the unique accessibility to children and the fact that broadcasting
4: invades the home in a way that other technologies do not that was the before the internet the pacifico was 1978
1: It was, Your Honor. Now, in the Turner case, this Court said at page 190 that broadcast medium is still the principal source of information and entertainment in affirming the lesser standard that this Court applies. We actually think that the fact that there are now additional mediums like the Internet and cable TV, if anything, um, underscores the appropriateness of a lower First Amendment standard or safety zone for broadcast TV, because Americans who want to get indecent programming can go to cable TV, they can go to... Uh, uh, The internet, but broadcast TV is, as Congress designed that to be, the one place where Americans can turn on the TV at eight o'clock and watch their dinner and not be expected to be bombarded with indecent language, either in an isolated basis or repeated basis. That's a societal expectation that has grown up over the last 30 years since Pacifica, and it would be a remarkable thing to adopt a world that the networks are asking you to adopt here today, where the networks are free to use Expletives, whether on an isolated or repeated, repeated basis, 24 hours a day, going from the extreme example of, of Big Bird dropping the F-bomb on Sesame Street to the example of using that word during Jeopardy or, uh, or uh, opening the, the episode of Americans Idol?
5: Idea. I just have a practical question. I, I'm just curious about this. The, uh, what are the networks supposed to do, uh, or the uh, television stations? They cover a lot of live events. I mean, they're not just sports events they 're also like the golden you know the Emmys the Oscars and you deal with a cross section of humanity and my experience is some parts of that cross section swear they, so so what, what what is it that, the, what are they supposed to do when the events live and lo and behold they have a few people in front of them uh, who
1: swear with res- these words what, what is their what can they do with respect to live entertainment programming, Justice well. Breyer, you can do what the networks now do, which is to have a tape delay which permits you to bleep out isolated or offensive So what, they,
5: what they now, would they now do this, I'll ask? That they, well, at the words, time whenever of Whenever they cover a baseball game, whenever they cover uh, anything live, they have to have some kind of tape system, uh, I, or for the Emmys, or for, everything is on tape and it's all delayed five seconds?
1: No, it varies based on the the type of programming, for example, the commission has acknowledged, and this is at pages 94 to 95a of the petition appendix, that their that breaking news coverage is different and that it will not uh, approach it the same. I'm not talking about breaking news lies.
5: coverage. I'm, I, I guess I'm talking about you know any one of a they, they cover the wrestling matches. They they cover the uh, you see what I'm driving uh, at, and I and I would like to know what is the state of the art? You're saying the state of the art is right now when I turn on my television set, they all use a delay.
1: Well, I, I don't think that's that, — that's not
5: — Are you saying they all have to use a delay?
1: In a show, in a show like the, the Billboard Music Awards, they will use a delay, and since the incidences in this case, the 2003 and 2002 instances, um, the networks have gotten more people who are on hand to bleep isolated expletives.
2: They had now, a, a five-second delay at the time, these things. They,
1: they did, and I, and I think
2: — Wasn't it they weren't fast enough or something?
1: Right. I mean, if you look at the Nicole Richie example, they actually bleeped um, one word um, that was used, I right, believe, it, right, right. And, and before she got to the other two words. But at that time, they only had one person working the bleeping uh, machine or uh, whatever say, uh, I, it is they call it.
2: De- now, it depends on whom you're dealing with, right?
1: I, I think that's right. And that's, that's certainly... If, there is an understanding that this is uh, — that these isolated — Did the
5: FCC explain all this in its opinion when it said, we understand that now we're going to have to — every incident is going to have to be uh, — uh, have a five-second delay and they'll have to have tapes and we think it's worth the cost? I and mean, did they explain all that? It, it explained
1: it, I it. Uh, in its decision in the petition appendix here as to the basis why uh, — Uh, enforcement action would be appropriate, because here you're dealing with individuals who had used inappropriate in the past. Nicole Ritchie had used inappropriate language in the past. You had an inappropriate tape delay. You had inappropriate measures in place to ensure that uh, expletives were not used, which in the Commission's judgment meant that this would be an appropriate situation. If you had a different context Um, say, a sporting event where there's an isolated expletive as part of a post-game news interview, the Commission, as it would, under its context-based approach, would look to all the contextual factors and determine whether or not it was indecent in that situation. If
2: this Paris Hilton incident was was scripted, Uh, the the, the use of the uh, indecent word was almost
1: invited, wasn't it? Uh, Certainly, our view is that it was pandering and invited. It could have been expected. Wasn't
4: there a different word? Wasn't there a euphemism in the script? I thought there was a euphemism in the script.
1: The euphemism in the script, I think, was, was freaking, and another euphemism for yes word, but yeah. they obviously departed from that. And I, and I think the Commission But was it was just,
2: sort of an invitation, I mean, before she was introduced, said, you know, now we're, we're on live television, you have to watch your mouth, or something like that.
1: That's, and, that's what yeah. Paris Hilton said. I mean, I think the yeah. whole thing was set up to be pandering, and, to invite this kind of abuse, which is one of the contextual factors that the Commission looked like, at, yeah. along with the extremely shocking and graphic nature of using this language at 9 p.m. on an Eastern – uh, night. But you didn't find them anyway, did you? We, we did not find them because we exercised restraint and making — attempting to make clear that the, the FCC going forward was going to consider isolated Because expedites. you
4: had gone from Pacifica until 2004 with a different policy where this kind of thing would have been okay.
1: Well, we had gone — from Pacifica until 1987, approximately, in the Action for Children's Television case, where the Commission determined that that approach, limited only to the seven dirty wards in Pacifica, was unduly narrow and inconsistent with its refor- enforcement responsibility. Remind
4: me about that, because it was this, the statement that the networks don't do this at all. At the time of Action for Children's Television, I mean, the fight was, was it going to be from midnight till whatever it was, The networks wanted more hours for adult viewing. They said the only hours the Commission gave them were the hours when most everybody is asleep. But I don't — my understanding was that was not
1: pertaining to use of the F-word. The network's policies are at 86 to 88A, the petition appendix, and described there. The D.C. Circuit found, with respect to that change in position, that the Commission had supplied an adequate explanation under the APA simply by saying that its prior practice enforcement practice was unduly narrow and not consistent with enforcement responsibility. We think that the even more detailed explanation here clearly satisfies the APA standard that applied to the Commission's change in position. Maybe I should yeah, Mr. ask Secretary. this, Mr. Gray. Uh, is, it, is there
3: ever appropriate for the Commission to take into consideration at all the question whether the particular remark was really hilarious? Very, very funny. Every, every some of these things, you can't help but laugh at. Is that, is that uh, a proper consideration? Do you
1: think? Yes, in so far as the commission takes into account whether it's shocking, titillating, pandering. It's funny.
2: Bloody jokes are okay if they're really good.
1: But I I think. My point is that we will take it into account, but I think you can recognize the potentially greater harmful impact on children where you have celebrities using using particularly graphic, vulgar, explicit, and decent language as part of a comedic routine during a show that children are comprising a substantial part of the viewing audience. And that is one of the factors that is appropriate under this Court's decision in Pacifica and the Commission's policy to take into account the time of day and the viewing audience.
5: Could you refer me to one thing in the record, if it's there, just tell me? I did find an explanation for the agencies deciding that fleeting is not going to be an automatic exemption. They talked about that. What I didn't find is an explanation for a second thing, which had to do with their first prompt, of their former test, and that was a distinction that used to be made between using these words as swear words and using them as descriptive words. Now, that, I think, showed up in their former policy because they said if they're used as a swear word, we're not going to go after them, at least not immediately. And uh, so that had to do with prong one, not prong two. So is there an explanation why they made that change?
1: Well, prong one hasn't changed, Justice Breyer, since the time of Pacifica. It's not. It's the same definition, whether descriptions or depictions of sexual or excretory organs or activities, the same definition before the court in Pacifica. Uh, And as the Pacifica monologue makes clear, uh, there were many both literal and non-literal uses of the F word and S word and other word in that monologue. So I think the Commission's position is this kind of language has always been indecent, which is what's changed is it's now going to consider enforcement actions when it's used on an isolated basis on a context-based approach. If I can preserve the re- may,
4: may I just ask one question? It's about the bottom line in your brief. I mean, this whole argument has an air of, well, really futility, because the Second Circuit more than tipped its hand when it said, and even if they gave a reasoned explanation, we have grave doubts whether this would be constitutional. You suggested in your brief a remand for briefing and a hearing in the Second Circuit on the constitutional issue. So is is there a way that we can say, well, really this, this issue that's before us now is ignoring the big elephant in the room. We'd have to get to that anyway.
1: Well, it, that approach would be consistent with — This Court uh, not deciding issues that haven't been decided below in the general practice of constitutional avoidance. Now, the the Second Circuit, at three different places in its decision, on page uh, 2A and page 35A, and at the end of its decision made clear that it was not deciding the constitutional issues. Judge Laval, who dissented, didn't say anything about the constitutional issues. So we certainly want another crack at those issues before the Second Circuit. And respondents, after all, are not simply asking this Court to hold that the use regulation of isolated expletives is unconstitutional, but that any broadcast indecency regulation is unconstitutional. And at a minimum, before this Court entertains that kind of radical constitutional shift, it ought to have the benefit of of the Court of Appeals decision, which actually decides those issues.
4: Could, like that, be, could that be done with, without deciding this APA, or were we forced to d- decide that?
1: Well, we think the Court is forced to decide that because that's the basis that the Court of Appeals has invalidated the Commission's action. The Court should reject that decision, which is incorrect under the APA, and send it back for consideration of the Network's other arguments.
6: Thank you, General Garr. MR. PHILLIPS. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice. And may it please the Court. I think I'd like to start with Justice Scalia's narrowest question in terms of the easiest way to resolve this case, which is, did the FCC, in its remand order, in fact recognize it had made a change in policy and therefore dealt forthrightly with the fact that it had made a change in policy? And while it is true that the Second Circuit was prepared to accept the idea that the Commission had changed, the reality is you will read that opinion without any ability to discern that. And but indeed,
7: doesn't doesn't the ability to discern it come from the reasons given for not assessing fines? They said, we're not assessing funds. This is something new, uh, and um, this is, in effect, a, a warning to everybody that things have changed. Isn't that a pretty clear indication that, that they are adopting a new policy? It,
6: it, well, it, that they are, in fact, adopting a new policy, I think that's probably right, Justice Souter. I think the problem here is that ordinarily, when you are, in fact, forthrightly changing your policy, it is incumbent upon the agency to say, we are changing our policy, we recognize we are changing our policy, and here is the rec- explanation for why we are changing are they, our
2: Are policy. they supposed to be more virtuous than courts? Yes. I mean, courts all the time, you know, distinguish prior cases by saying, well, you know, it was dictum or we really didn't hold that and whatnot. And I read their opinion as uh, somewhat, the same, somewhat the same thing. They acknowledged at the end, and, and that's why they didn't impose a fine, that although this, you know, nothing that they had done up to now, although their staff had, uh, would have, uh, would have misled anybody. Uh, still in all, it wasn't all that clear, and therefore we won't impose a fine. Now, the only thing that's strikingly
6: different about that, Justice Scalia, is they are very express in dealing with that issue in the Golden Globe's order, which it's General Gar specifically identifies. It's interesting when you say, so where is it in the order under review where they say they're going to do that? He says, look at paragraph 12 of the Golden Globe order. And Justice Ginsburg is absolutely right. This case came to the Second Circuit. The Commission said, no, send it back. Give us an o- a full opportunity to explain exactly what we're doing. They take it back, and they come in, and it they don't do just to explain. With this it,
2: it was also they, — they, they said, you know, we, we sort of made this change without getting comments from the affected parties. That was part that, of gi- it. Give us a chance to, to receive comments and then, and then explain.
6: And then provide a, a, a final — reviewable order from the Commission, presumably, that, de- that defends in all respects that decision. But as you I say. Know,
0: what the Commission said is that the prior decisions were, guidance was seriously flawed, and we reaffirmed that it was appropriate to disavow it. It seems to me that's recognizing a change and rejecting it. It's at page 82A. Right.
6: All, all, all I'm suggesting, Mr. Chief Justice, is that there is equally an opposite language in which the Commission, and the Second Circuit acknowledged this too, in which the Commission seems to back off whether or not it thinks it has made a change in this particular order. And it, it seems th- to th- me reasonable. i asked the
0: same question I asked your friend. Th- does it matter? Don't we look at the Commission's order and determine whether it's a reasonable explanation, whether they view it as a change or not? It seems to me that they kind of said you can view it as a change because the staff had these decisions uh, uh, and there was dicta. Um, or it's not a change. But the po- important point is whether or not they provided a reasonable explanation for their current position.
6: The, this Court said in State Farm that when, when an agency changes its position, it is incumbent upon the agency to provide more of an explanation in that context than, than if it were adopting the position in the first instance. So I think, yes, there is a
0: problem. but it said in State Farm is that an agency's view of what is in the public interest may change either with or without a change in circumstances. Right. So the reason there's a change is they looked at it and they decided it was
6: wrong. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I think it would, we, we wouldn't be having this debate if the Commission had simply dealt with this issue in the same forthright fashion that it did with respect to the Golden Globes order. But even if the Court accepts the idea that there is a change, it seems to me quite clear that the Commission has not even remotely satisfied its, its obligation to demonstrate that that change is not arbitrary and capricious. And I think it's you important
0: to that it's enough of a uh, justification for the change that they think the other policy was wrong. They don't have to say circumstances have changed, the facts are different. It's enough to say, well, whatever the Commission used to think, we think differently.
6: And then explain why. And then explain why. And that goes then to what I think is the next point that I'd like to make, which is to answer Justice Breyer's question, which is where, in the opinion, does the Commission explain the change in position with respect to, to the first prong? of the indecency standard, which is whether or not these words inherently mean either sexual or excretory activities. And there, it seems to me, there is a — whether there's a change or not, the reality is that from 1978 until 2004, this kind of language was used routinely without the Commission remotely suggesting that every time it was used, it necessarily had a particular meaning. And then suddenly in 2004, this language has changed its tone completely and there's no explanation for what is different or what is the reason for adopting that particular view. The fact that the, that the reading of that is so fundamentally at odds with the way the court he said that, they, they gave them
2: the reason for their current belief. They said even when it is used just as a swear word or as an expletive, the reason it has its impact is precisely because it refers to these excretory or, or sexual activities. That, what, that's what, what gives, gives it its zing.
6: This Court expressly said in Cohen versus California, in, in talking about exactly the same word, that it cannot plausibly be maintained that this vulgar illusion would conjure up, sub, sub, up such psychic stimulation. And if the court would say that in 1970 it applies with even more but force, that's not than the 2008. commission's position. The
0: commission's position here is not that when these words were used, people necessarily thought of a literal meaning. Instead, its position is that the reason these words shock is because of its association with the literal meaning. It's a different question than what was being addressed in Cohen.
6: Well, all that Cohen says is that you cannot immediately jump to the – it wouldn't even remotely strike you that the reason the language is being used is for its particular sexual meaning. Why do you
0: think the F word has shocking value or emphasis or force?
6: The the same reason the S word does. It's because in some circles it's it's inappropriate.
0: Because it's associated with sexual excretory activity. That's what gives its, its, its force.
6: I, I, mean, I, I mean, to say that, I suppose, is, is, you can say it, but I don't understand on what basis there's no empirical support for that. There's no anything it's, it's, in the record to remotely suggest don't, that. Don't use golly woggles in, in, instead of the F word. <laughs> but people use all kinds of euphemisms for it, and nobody blinks about it. The point is that, it, that for 20-some years, the Commission didn't draw that inference, didn't reach that conclusion, and nothing has changed over those 20-some well, years. Well, one thing has act-
7: changed. Thank you, Mr. One thing has changed, I think, from the record. And, and let me ask you whether, if the Commission had given this explanation, it would, in your judgment, satisfy the arbitrary and capricious standard? What if the Commission said, uh, you know, our, our touchstone under prong one uh, is community broadcast standards? And we have assumed over the years that people really didn't get too exercised uh, by the usage that we have, uh, we have permitted. But we are now getting all of this mail from people who are very angry about it, and they find it extremely offensive. And therefore, I guess our prior community broadcast standards were wrong. We weren't taking into consideration the way people actually felt. Now we know how they felt because of the mail we're getting, and we're changing our policy for that reason. Uh, leaving aside the constitutional sufficiency of that, right, as a matter it, of arbitrary and capricious standard, uh, would it satisfy it?
6: I, I think it probably would if all you're doing is looking at, at just the sort of raw Administrative Procedure Act standard. And as it would normally apply, no, a non-content a raw
7: APA standard issue is what we've got here.
6: Well, I, I, I don't think that's a fair way to, to look at this case because I, I don't see how you can. It seems to me a completely artificial inquiry to look at this as if you're regulating the price of oil going through a pipeline. At the end of the day, you're regulating the content of speech. And therefore, the First Amendment ought to inform everybody's assessment of what can the Commission do as it moves in a more content-restrictive way.
7: If that's the case, then the concept of constitutional avoidance is is somehow out of this case and and similar First Amendment cases, because we're always going to, when when, when you say you really uh, cannot separate that precisely, uh, we're always going to be getting into the constitutional issue either expressly because we accept your view, or covertly because we say, boy, we know what's around the corner. Uh, and so if, but, if but that we would accept your be, argument, uh, we've got to change the constitutional avoidance doctrine.
6: No, I, I don't think that's exactly right, Justice Souter, because the, the, the constitutional avoidance doctrine is not going to be much of a problem, obviously, unless there is a grave constitutional threat. So it's not every assertion of the existence of a constitutional issue that suddenly triggers withdrawal. The, when you're dealing in this area, which is content regulation and restriction on the basis of content, seems to me that's inherently a First Amendment problem. And when you're in that world, then it seems to me the agency, even in the APA context, has more of a responsibility, or at least the Court should say it has more of a responsibility to explain I
2: it. thought we felt that uh, the Court can't engage in such uh, ex- expansion of an additions to the Administrative Procedure Act. I thought that was uh —
6: well, the administrative One procedure of our, act expressly and, and our says
2: that uh, that what it says, it says, and we cannot add additional procedures. You're, you're suggesting we add an additional procedure that when it deals with speech, the explanation has to be really good.
6: Well, the the the. The Administrative Procedure Act also says not in accordance with law, which also refers oh, to other statutes and, right. obviously, the Constitution. So it's not as though I'm asking you to add more to what the You're Constitution You're asking the, for a, a higher standard in the, the APA. Well, I don't, and I, uh, yes, I am yeah, asking, asking for a higher standard under the APA because we're talking about content-based uh, restrictions how is on speech. Consi- how is that consistent with Vermont Yankee? Because it wasn't talking about restrictions on speech, Mr. Chief Justice.
0: So you are saying that we add to the APA when
6: we're dealing with a particular area. What, which, of well, our, it, a, which of our cases support This Court hasn't, hasn't had to hold that in any particular context. But the reality is, that as a logic matter, if you're thinking about it, it you know, there is an, a, a restriction on in accordance with law. The first amendment is obviously with law so you have that limitation well, maybe are, sometime, and in order
0: to sometime, avoid being in those to argue your constitutional issue but we can't assume that you're right on the constitution in applying the APA.
6: All I'm saying is that it seems to me a remarkably artificial inquiry to look at this as if you're regulating the price of oil going through a through a pipeline as opposed to what you're talking about. You should about have here.
2: complained to the lower court about that. You should have said please don't decide this on the APA issue. This is a First Amendment case. You should reach the constitutional issue. Well, we're but certainly, but, but, first but you course. win on the APA issue, and then you come up here and say, I don't want it. I don't want to discuss the APA. I want to discuss, uh, you know, the First Amendment.
6: Well, Justice Scalia, I'm, I'm perfectly content to talk about the APA because at, at the end of the day, The APA
2: simpliciter, not the APA, uh, you know.
6: Well, I like the more by, by complicated percent. version, but I, I'm, I'm happy to deal with the simpliciter one as well. But the, but the reality is, it goes back to Justice Breyer's question. At the end of the day, the, the important part of this is what explains this fundamental shift. Now, I think... Justice Souter, you know, has probably made a, a respectable argument on, on APA grounds, but unfortunately that's <laughs> not the position that the FCC took. does good stuff now, <laughs> I have nothing but the highest regard for it. But, but the, the, other, the other part of this case that seems to have gotten lost track of is that this is not a statute that is that, — that, that the Commission has the responsibility to enforce. This is a criminal statute. This is Section 1464. And through Section 503, the Commission doesn't have broad-based discretion to define for itself these terms. The Commission has to decide what, what is indecent within the meaning of a federal criminal statute, which means we're entitled to the rule of lenity, which means we're entitled to an interpretation of that first prong, which in dealing with indecency says that it has to describe or depict Sexual activities. Well, when you talk about the rule of lenity, I mean, the point is that
0: this change, if there is a change in policy or whether it's adequately explained, simply gets you in the door. They say then once you're there, we just look at all of the circumstances and the context. So we don't, it seems to me, in their enforcement decisions, their decision not to impose sanctions, their decision not to have this count against you uh, in future proceedings, they're being very lenient.
6: Well, they're being lenient in one sense. I think you have to step back, Mr. Chief Justice, and recognize what, the, what, the, what we've got here. We're talking about an extraordinary interorum regime that the FCC has created. And, and I would commend to you all of the amicus briefs from the NAB, from the former FCC officials, and from others who describe in, in exquisite detail the chilling effect that this particular scheme may have, to be sure. It, you know, Fox isn't, isn't being immediately penalized by bits, But to go back to Justice Breyer's question of, of General Gar, where he said, you know, does everybody have everything on tape and delay?" No, of course not. And why not? Because it may be one thing for Fox to be able to put a show like this on a, on a delayed basis. But if you're dealing with a local television station that's just getting by hand-to-mouth, and they want to televise a football game, And in the middle of that football game, some student decides to express himself in ways that nobody anticipated. And
0: this is where the context comes in. At least with impressionable children, that's dramatically different than saying here is an award show, here is a celebrity. I want to listen to what they're going to say because I listen to their music, and and he comes out with that. As opposed to a football game, they know that, you know, somebody says a bad word in the middle of the interview. The context makes all the difference in the world.
6: Well, I'm not sure that there. I mean, I don't remember the FCC being in a position to describe how children are able to perceive one set of uses of the word as opposed to another set of uses of the word. But what I think this court can't they perceive that. They know — I mean,
0: it's one thing to use the word and say that, Saving Private Ryan when your arm gets blown off. It's another
6: thing to you do, think do the, when you're standing up. And you, says, you, you can't seriously believe that the average nine year old, first of all, who's probably more horrified by the arm being blown off to begin with, but, but putting that aside, you, it cannot possibly be that that child has more of a reaction to that word in that context than if a young high school football player is running down the field screaming a, a particular expletive. Why can't, the, the young football player is not a celebrity that they follow. Well, a young um, high school player actually might be more of a celebrity in some communities than, than at least where I live. Nicole but the Richards. point is, whether they are or not, is the contextual determination
0: that the FCC can undertake. All they're saying is that just because it's used once doesn't mean you're out of the. Out of the woods altogether. Let's look at it, and if it turns out there's no, re- I mean, this is the the point they make that in one context it's completely gratuitous, in the other context it's not. But the
6: problem is, Mr. Chief Justice, once you open the door, then you end up with all of the vagueness and overbreadth problems that but, are inherent but these, in these this arguments, regime.
2: These arguments apply not just to the isolated, once upon a time use, but even to continued use. You could say the same thing about just filling. A, a program with these expletives, Justice right?
6: Scalia, you and, could and, say the same thing, that, but we're not saying not, the same thing. That's not,
2: thing. I suppose,
6: what you're arguing against here, is it? No, what, because the, the point we're making here is that we haven't asked this Court to revisit Pacifica. And the, and the point is, is that when you move away from Pacifica, which is the verbal shock treatment formulation, and say, you know, that's perfectly consistent with the First Amendment and with everything that that agency decision-making requires and say that's all right. When you shift from that, which is an enormous switch over, and go into fleeting expletives, then it's a fundamentally – all we're saying is that that's a fundamentally different issue, and that implicates more serious First Amendment issues because everybody knows what is something that is verbal shock treatment, or at least we know how to stay pretty pretty far away from it. Whereas if I say every fleeting expletive potentially exposes – every broadcaster, to $325,000 fines made solely at the discretion of, of five individuals unelected, that impresses me, Your Honors, as, as simply an inappropriate problem, and one that, just, it, that follows naturally, Mr. Chief Justice, from saying, well, all we're going to do is open the door. Because once you open that door, it is clearly Pandora box. Why do Fox your
0: clients right? not use these words between 10 p.m. and 6 a.m.?
6: Because it affects audience share. There are some people, some people why who would share. Because some people are offended by it, not the whole community. There are probably a lot of people who would actually prefer to have more of it. But for some members if of the If you can take that into
0: consideration, why can't the FCC make the same determination that there may be some people offended by this? And if there are some people, as part of our statutory responsibility, we're going to look at it. Well, that's not a that, that they that's automatically a impose not, not that they automatically impose a sanction, Ooh. but they're going to look at
6: it. Well, first of all, that's a heckler's veto, and, I, and, and it's, there's long holdings in this Court that suggest that simply pandering to one small segment of the population is no way to enforce First Amendment rights. So that's, that, I mean, that's my primary answer there, to this. There goes Pacifica. No, I don't think there goes Pacifica, because Pacifica was heckler's only veto? one person. I'm sorry? Isn't that a heckler's veto? No, what, what if, if people like, you
2: know, going on and on with, uh, with ex- expletives and, and offensive words? Are, are, are those of us who are offended by that hecklers and you can't take our positions into account because you're, you're giving effect to a heckler? I mean,
6: I think you can take them into account, but the problem is, the, the Chief Justice's question was, why do we have a 24-hour rule? And the answer is, it's one thing for us to voluntarily assume that. I, I think it is a mistake, and I don't know, and I didn't think, I didn't read anything in the Commission's opinion that reflects this, that they say that fact suddenly defines the community standards for purposes of what is indecent and what is not indecent. That simply reflects our own best judgment about how to serve our audience.
3: If there is a change in community standards, could that justify a change in the FCC's policies? And, And the second question, the reason I ask that is, do you think today the community generally is more offended by these words or more tolerant of these words? Well, as, as compared to when Pacifica was. Specific. I mean,
6: I, I believe the society is significantly more tolerant of these words today than it was in 30 I think years. Think your clients
3: ago. have had anything to do with that?
6: In, in the scheme of things, probably very, very little to do with that compared to the way the language is used. Go to a baseball game, Justice Scalia. You'll hear these words every, every time you go to a ball game. You
2: do. do indeed, but you don't have them presented as something that is, is normal in polite company. Which is what happens when it comes out in in television shows. This is a coarsening of manners that's that's produced by by the shows. so i'm you know I'm not uh, persuaded by the argument that uh, people are more accustomed to hearing these words than they were in the past.
6: But if any but the, the I mean I think what Justice Stevens is getting at is what 's changed over the last thirty years, and if anything has changed that is it would be the, exactly the opposite, which is that people are more tolerant of this language, not that they are less tolerant of this language, and therefore there 's even less reason for the commission to have taken the position uh, that it did in this in this particular we 're
2: tolerant or more used to hearing it I think both candidly I, 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 I think there's a difference
6: well i 'm not saying there 's not a difference, but I am suggesting that there are that, that 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 the change over time has made this less of a compelling argument than it would have been, at least in my judgment, in in 1978. I'd like to make a a couple of different additional points. Another thing that's changed since 1978 is that there is much more opportunity for parents to control access of their children because of the V-chip. That's available. Second, in terms of this effort to try to lessen the coarsening of of american i'm, I'm discourse. not sure
3: that works i haven't looked at the statistics on one parent family working parents and so forth uh, those factors also have to be considered
6: well but if you put in a v-chip it doesn't matter whether your parents if you were working or not the truth is if you had a v-chip for the 2003 version of this which would have said pgl which is for language you, children couldn't have gotten on there whether the parents were at home or not so the v-chip is a is a usable and, and feasible technology and that the, at the, the that is a less restrictive alternative than the one that we have on the on the table uh, under these particular circumstances. The um, I wanted to go back to the to the statute, to the fact that this is a criminal statute. Again, the commission is not arguing here for broad. Uh, recognizing or accepting or arguing for that they have a broad delegation of authority. They don't have the authority to decide what indecency is.
5: You you were pursuing the uh, practical thing about the tapes and so forth when you got onto a different subject, which was (laughs) the the nature of the program. I just wanted to be certain you are finished with what you wanted to say there, uh, because I'm interested in the practical question of uh, do all the stations have tapes and leave sports events out of it and leave news out of it. Uh, are there other events uh, that uh, these small stations might want to cover that don't have the tape or that now don't use the tape? Anything else you want to say about that? I'm right, well, I mean, interested it's, in the practical problem right. as part of this. Where right. do I look to find out some facts?
6: Well, the NAB... Uh, amicus brief actually has a pretty good description of a variety of different instances in which this has, has occurred. And, they, and, and, of course, the NAB represents, obviously, the large networks, but also all of the individual stations. And it, and it to me at least, makes a compelling argument that you, you cannot simply have one rule that says, let's just impose additional costs on everybody, because the answer to that is that those stations will simply refuse to broadcast. And to me, the best illustration of it, and the one that the public interest, I would hope, would command or demand the court take account of, is the, the Vermont public station that refused to broadcast a debate or, or, or allow a member, a senatorial candidate, to participate in a debate because that candidate had used expletives in a previous public forum and therefore didn't think it could allow that broadcast and take that risk because it can't afford to have the tape delay technology that you're talking about. And that, to me, is the quintessential example. But there are loads of them, and it's going to just get worse once you decide to get past the notion that a fleeting expletive, no matter how it arises, requires you to justify it. Because we went from a system that said we will, in general, never condemn Fleeting expletives to the system that exists now, which is we routinely condemn them unless we think it's okay. And that's a system, it seems to me, this Court ought not to countenance. It's embedded in the Second Circuit's decision. The Court should affirm that decision and vacate back to the Commission so that it can go forward or remand back to the Commission so it can do the best it can to try to come up with a justification that satisfies both the APA and the First Amendment that it has not done so far. Mr.
4: Phillips, the — This is similar to the question I asked General Garr. The commission asked for a remand so it could provide a reasoned explanation. But you had, or your clients had in, in their complaint, they made an APA claim as well as First Amendment claim. Didn't they? Yes, and, we did. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't a complaint.
6: Obviously, we were seeking. It, it was a petition I'm, for review, right. Going right to the Second yes, Circuit, so it doesn't have the same it, bill of particulars that you might, you might otherwise have. You could
4: have done the First Amendment, but you, you did put the APA into it.
6: Yes, Justice Ginsburg, we we do believe that the Commission changed its position, and I mean, again, we had to file a separate petition for review from the remand order, over and above the petition for review we had filed from the first order. So. You know, we but took we, into we, account we, this assessment and saying we don't think the agency has adequately justified its change in position.
3: May I ask this question, Mr. Phillips? I guess in, in the last analysis, we're trying to decide what the word indecent means. Yes, and sure. do you think that the word indecent can have that, that a fleeting uh, expletive could be not indecent, but the same words could be indecent if they're repeated several times? I think, it, I mean, to me it's hard. I, I don't think so. But
6: I, I can understand that Pacifica could be read that way, although in Pacifica itself, George Carlin does, in fact, use the fleeting expletive in an explicitly sexual way at, at times. But. I think the hardest case, candidly, is a situation where you have a string of expletives, all of which are clearly not designed to reflect anything about sexual activity and what you do in that situation. That is the hardest case.
3: No, but I'm not sure I make my question as clear as I should. If we're trying to define the term indecent, uh, does does the number of times the word is used in a particular context make a difference in the oh, definition.
6: I apologize. I, didn't, I misunderstood your question. No, I don't think so. I think the question, the first prong of the indecency inquiry is whether or not the particular language used does in fact describe or depict sexual or excretory activities or organs. And that's the number
3: one inquiry. And I don't think the number of times in which you use it affects I think as a matter that. of statutory definition, if a particular word can describe those activities, it's equally indecent if it's used for a different purpose. I, I would have
6: thought that since you're dealing with a statute that, is, that imposes criminal sanctions, that if you have those two alternative interpretations available, you have to choose the the, the one that is more favorable to the defendant. And therefore you would you would say that the because pleading some interpretation is okay.
3: would not be indecent. That's the interpretation. I'm sorry. you should accept say because one interpretation of the ambiguous word would not be indecent. You're saying the rule of lenity and that sort of approach would require, in a criminal case, to just adopt that that definition. That would be my argument, yes. But that, I mean,
7: you're, correct me if I'm wrong, but your colloquy with Justice Stevens is sort of, is a way of phrasing the issue in the case, because you're saying, I think, prior to this, prior to the change, the Commission uh, interpreted indecency in terms of indecent practice, and what the commission is now doing is defining indecency in terms of the meaning of a word it's 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 relatively going from saying indecency uh is a practice i.e. repetition of certain kinds of words to saying indecency uh, is is the repeti- is the use of any word which is itself indecent Oh, I, I agree with that completely, of the Justice Souter. No, that's exactly
6: yeah. how you can characterize it. I mean, I, it, it may not be the precise verbal formulation we use, but candidly, that, that is essentially the way Judge Laval looked at it. He just said, at the end of the day, because I think I have to defer to the agency, I'm going to let them have that interpretation. But I mean, it's, what it's I'm suggesting is that's not the, the appropriate approach. Let,
2: let me yeah. ask about uh, deferring the, you seem to be suggesting that since there is a criminal penalty for violation of this statute, the agency has no role in in defining uh, what what the terms of the statute mean
6: Justice as it is any? the language of the statute itself that suggests that because the statute says that the commission may find it may may impose certain enforcement actions for people who violate Section 1464. That, of course, is a criminal statute. Therefore, it's not a statute that's been delegated to the agency's broad discretion to decide what falls within that language. It is within the agency's discretion to choose a penalty that, in fact, enforces that criminal dictate. And to go back to Justice Stevens' position, or I suppose I shouldn't give it to your position, it's my position, but the one that I think you, we, we were discussing, if you have a choice of two ways to read indecency, you have to read it in a way that's more favorable to the defendant. That precludes the approach that the, that the government has taken in this particular case. If there are no further questions, Your Honor, I urge you to
1: affirm.
0: Thank you, Mr. Phillips. Uh, General
1: Garr, you have two minutes remaining. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice. Uh, first, at Justice Clea, it's on page 82A of the Petition Appendix where the Commission acknowledges the change in the order at issue in this case. Um, Justice Breyer, going back to your question about whether the Commission's definition of indecency has changed, it is not, and that's made clear at page 73A of the Petition Appendix where the Commission says, quote, a long line of precedence indicates that the use of the F word for emphasis or as an intensifier comes within the subject matter scope of our indecency definition. Does it definition. explain,
5: I mean, the change I saw was that previously the use of these words as a swear Was treated differently from the use of these words as a description. I I don't. After the event, it's not treated differently.
1: It it explains on page 74 why the Commission has determined that these words are indecent, and the Commission has always treated both literal and non literal uses of these words as in de- potentially indecent under its contextual analysis. Um, we think that Justice Ginsburg's decision for the D.C. Circuit in the Action for Children's television case provides a roadmap for resolving this case, where the Court separately addressed the APA question of whether the agency had provided a reasonable explanation and then separated out the constitutional issues, which this Court need not address I, because the issues I ask weren't one decided. one
3: question that just occurred to me? Do you think the use of the word dung, D-U-N-G, would be indecent?
1: I think it would probably qualify under the the subject matter definition, but it probably wouldn't be patently offensive under community standards for broadcasting. The one thing that can't be disputed seriously in this case is that the F word is patently offensive under community standards for the broadcast medium. This Court should reverse the decision below on the APA question presented and remand the case for consideration of respondents other arguments.
4: The S word in there, too, and even … Judge Laval said he didn't understand why that word should be on the list.
1: Well, we certainly think that under community standards that that word is patently offensive as well, and, and certainly, but, you know, we think that the, the F word itself is clearly patently offensive. We think that the S word is patently offensive. This Court did so, uh, we think, had that view in the Pacific case as well, because that, of course, was one of the seven dirty words at issue in that case, if there are no further questions. Thank,
7: thank you, General. The case is submitted.